Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. Now, for anyone that has experienced a loved one suffering with an eating disorder, will know it can be very complex. Now, many sufferers don't realize they have a problem and heartbreakingly, uh, they see themselves very differently to others and they may um, go to extraordinary lengths to hide their behavior from their family and friends. You know, eating disorders are not isolated to adults as a hard as it is to comprehend, they also affect children. So today, our special guest will share her lived experience of an eating disorder with the view of encouraging open, honest conversations between children and their guardians. So to share her story, we're very excited to welcome Maddie Tyres, a young Australian actress, children's entertainer, and former contestant on the, the last series of Lego Masters. Now, Maddie has written a book for children 8 to 12 years uh, of age um, about anorexia and eating disorders after being diagnosed with an eating disorder at 15 years of age. Thank you so much for joining us, Maddie, and of course for sharing uh, your story with us, which no doubt can be uh, a challenging and emotional thing to do. So thank you so much for your time. How are you? Oh, thank you so much, Rach. What a beautiful introduction. I'm, uh, yeah, absolutely honoured to be here and so excited to get the word out about When Anna Came to Stay, my first kids book. Very exciting. Yeah. And there's, there's so much to speak about today um, and I want to hear all about the book. Um, but before we get into all of that stuff, you know, just generally, I guess everybody, you know, deserves to feel comfortable in their own body. Um, but, you know, with all the information and preparation we've done for this chat today, some of the stats I found really quite alarming. Um, and I understand the reality is that at least one in four young people have serious body image concerns. These are some really alarming stats, don't you think? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely, Rach. It is. It's it's quite scary. And it's something that I've become, I suppose, a little bit more aware of in the last few years. So i previously uh, in my last role was a Captain Starlight at the Children's Hospital, so where I met my husband, Jimmy, actually. And we uh, basically were in-hospital entertainers where we'd go around and visit kids um, on the wards, in their hospital rooms, and basically just have fun and use distraction therapy as a mode of, uh, of recovery and healing. Um, and throughout my time as a Captain Starlight, I just really saw this prevalence and I suppose a rise in numbers of young people, really young, young people. I'm talking sort of four, five, six-year-olds so that were being admitted into the hospital with uh, eating disorders. And um, it really just struck a chord with me having been someone um, who I suppose began sort of toxic negative um, thoughts and habits around food at such an early age. I was I was eight years old myself. So um, yeah, it really kind of stood out as something that I thought needed to be addressed and spoken about a bit more. It's it's still such a taboo topic in society. And I think um, the more we uh, the more we know about it, the more information we have and the more sort of support we can provide people that are suffering uh, with would yeah, it's just going to make the world a difference really. And you know, um 
with some of the, the the prep that we've done as well, I understand a lot of um, body dissatisfaction starts in early childhood now. And, you know, as you've just shared, eight years of age is, is quite young to develop an unhealthy relationship with food and change behaviour around eating. Um, but it is increasingly becoming more common in younger children, as you were just saying. Um, in, in some cases, and in a lot of cases, um, children aged five, um, and younger. So, I mean, why do you think, in your personal opinion, why do you think this is the case? I guess. Mm, absolutely, yeah. It's and it is. It's a, it's a terrifying statistic. You kind of think five years old. Like, yeah. Do I did I even know what the word diet meant when I was that young? And yeah, it is. It's it's becoming a, a younger and younger thing that that children are kind of dealing with. And I would. Personally, I think that, you know, it, it does have a lot to do with the world that we're living in today. You know, we are just saturated. The media is just, we're bombarded with images of what we should look like on a daily basis, almost 24-7 around the clock. You know, even going back to when I was eight, you know, in the 90s, there weren't, we weren't on social media. I didn't have a mobile phone until I was in my teens. So, you know, younger kids these days are having access to this material um, earlier and earlier and are being sort of, um, I suppose, subliminally told this is what you need to do to, you know, lead a perfect, healthy lifestyle <laughs> and you need to look like X to to be um, to be a happy person, which is, of course, we know is not, not the truth at all. So um, I do think that, um, you know, the societal pressures and the pressures of the media have a huge influence on those um, statistics, which is which is really sad. And initially, I guess for anyone watching and listening, you know, what would you share as being some of the, I guess, the warning, early warning signs parents with children of that age demographic in that younger sort of childhood, five to, you know, I can't mm. even believe I'm saying five years of age, but as as you as we just referenced, but for younger children, um, what are some of the warning signs that you think that they should be aware of in their own children with their behavioural traits if they are? Yeah. Of, starting to change. Absolutely. Yeah, Rach. So they eating disorders, and from my experience in particular, they're very insidious and they can start off really small and, um, you know, with with kind of really basic things like, you know, restricting certain foods or, or cutting out foods from your diet, you know, altogether. Um, and they sort of gradually take hold and, and the, the habits and behaviours sort of end up taking over your life, basically. But for me, I think one of the key factors is that sort of um, categorising food. So sort of having a child to categorize good and bad foods is a really kind of it's an early warning sign that can kind of sort of tip over into uh, in sort of dangerous sort of territory um, also just restriction in general so cutting out particular types of food because they're seen as bad or unhealthy um, you know we all want to sort of lead a healthy and balanced lifestyle but I think sometimes the images we're given on TV are like these are no foods and these are yes foods so yeah that categorizing can be a real um, early warning sign and also just I think general um, a general obsession with with image and 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 for me it was mirror checking a lot window checking uh, hilariously I know kids obviously have phones and iPads these days as well so constantly kind of checking in on uh, images which you know a lot of the time sadly people that are suffering from eating disorders or um, low self-esteem are seeing distorted images reflected back anyway so what they're seeing isn't necessarily uh, the truth so yeah, there, there are a few kind of early warning signs that I would sort of keep an eye out um, as a parent or a guardian for sure. Thanks for sharing that, Maddie. And, and there's even more information in the article that we published for you. And the title of that is uh, Tips for Parents Supporting a Child Experiencing Negative Body Image. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, 
Could you please tell us what the article is about and, of course, just what inspired you to write it? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, look again. This um, this piece it is a bit of a reflection on on the book itself. It is this book. I'm hoping is a tool for parents to use to start that open, honest conversation with with their children. Um, you know, the young people in their lives about the um, yeah, the effect that negative body image can actually have um on on someone. So, you know, self esteem and body image are such a fluid. It is such a fluid thing. So, what you might feel one day could completely differ, you know, an hour, two hours, a day later. Um, but it is those kind of negative toxic um, thoughts that kind of stick around that can actually kind of, um, I suppose, tip over into um, unhealthy uh, territory. So, yeah, I'm really hoping that this uh, article and the book itself can give some parents um, some sort of a bit of a guide into, yeah, having those uh, conversations. It might be quite tricky to have with young people and, um, yeah, just having that sort of, yeah, open communication from uh, from the get-go, I think. Yeah, and in the article, which, of course, we'll have a link to in the show notes, you share your top 10 tips for parents supporting a child experiencing negative body image. Um, of course, we're not going to go through all 10 of them because um, we want everyone to read the article as well um, and, and, to, and to find you in, in your book. But um, with that, could you maybe just quickly share um, just some of your, your favourite and maybe say your top three of the top 10 maybe? Yeah, of course. Um, so I think, uh, you know, top tip would be um, just really kind of trying to move away from uh, talks of diet and, and body ideals in the household. I think there is so much focus on that day to day, as I said, in the media. Um, but I think sort of removing kind of discussions of good and bad foods and kind of, uh, yeah, taking that whole kind of language away is a really, really good start. Um, I also think um, avoid talking about appearances in general, whether it be about your child or about people in your lives. I think um, focusing rather on people's, you know, strengths and abilities and what you, what you can do as a, as a person rather than what you look like is really a key kind of tip that I would say. Uh, and also just, I think, just fostering confidence and um, and and that high self esteem and really kind of encouraging your child to sort of focus on on their skills and strengths, whether it be playing sport or or art or music or whatever it may be, rather than what our physical bodies look like. Because at the end of the day, they're like this amazing vessel that we've been given to do these amazing things that we can do. So yeah, I think focusing on um, on those uh, skills and strengths is is really key. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And like I said, we'll have the link in the show notes to the article and all, all of your other stuff as well. But as mentioned earlier, you were eight years of age when your behaviours changed. I mean, looking back now, I mean, what would you, I guess, tell your, your eight-year-old self now if you could? Mm. Yeah, totally. It's so um, it's so crazy to think, Rach, because I sort of think eight years old. Oh my goodness, that's so young. But going back to eight year old Maddie, I thought I was so grown up and I knew everything. So, but you know, in saying that, what would I would have loved to have known? I think, I really think just that that kind of concept that you know we're all put on this planet as a completely different and unique person. Like we are all 
no two people are the same, even identical twins. And that's what makes this planet so beautiful is the fact that we have so much diversity and, and um, you know, interesting people. And if we all looked and acted the same, it would be so boring. And I think, you know, it just sort of embracing this is who I am and, and look what amazing things I can do with this amazing body that I've been given, um, you know, really drumming, drumming in that kind of idea I think would have been a really helpful helpful kind of uh, start for me as an eight-year-old. Um, but I also think just having a bit more of an understanding of um, the importance of um, nutrition and, and and healthy, balanced diet for not only for your body, but your mental health as well. And kind of yeah. really seeing that, you know, you know, everything in moderation is okay. You know, like we don't have to lead these perfect lives that are actually just not perfect at all, really. Um, So yeah, some of those basic skills I think would have been fantastic. And as um, I referenced at the start of the chat too, um, it's it's just a challenging um, and complex situation for family and friends surrounding um, the person you know, suffering at the time um, with with the eating uh, disorder. I mean, looking back at that, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give to parents, family and friends who might be experiencing a child um, with an eating Mm -hmm. disorder? Absolutely, yeah. As I was saying earlier, Rach, like they are eating disorders, they're really complex, they're really they're really insidious mental illnesses in the sense that they do kind of creep up and latch on and they can take a long period of time to really kind of sink their teeth into someone. So for me, my sort of toxic, you know, behaviours and and habits really sort of started at at the age of eight, but it wasn't until I was 15, so a good seven years later, that I was actually given a diagnosis of anorexia and and hospitalised. So that's that's a long time for something to develop. Um, And it wasn't until that age of 15 that I really started to seek treatment and help. And it was almost not too far gone because I'm obviously in recovery now and, and doing really well. But, you know, I kind of think had I have gotten onto things a lot earlier, could would it have been a different outcome? So I think uh, for parents that sort of maybe feeling like they've got a child that may be going through something similar, it's it's getting onto it early, nip, nipping it in the bud, you know, having those conversations. Um, there's some fantastic resources around um, online. For, for me personally, the Butterfly Foundation were an amazing, amazing group to go to for for my family, family therapy, um, psych, you know, psychology appointments, dietitian appointments. Um, from an from an early kind of point would be my hot tip: get onto it early. Yes. So, so you progressed from, um, I guess, your symptoms sort of progressed from from that to living with the eating disorder or anorexia or an Anna, as you like to call her. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe just expand mm-hmm. a little bit on what that progression is actually like, and and what that feels mm-hmm. like as well internally, just to give us some, some perspective? So, because sometimes I guess people don't they can see and they can em- empathize, but they um, they can sympathize, but they can't necessarily empathize. So it's it's great to sort of to get mm. some, an inside perspective on this, if possible. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and it it's really it's really complicated. And I think a lot of people can have um, you know particular views on what eating disorders are and look like, but they come in so many different shapes and sizes, and and they affect everyone very very differently. For me. Um, living with anorexia was 
a day-to-day battle from the moment I woke up to the moment I'd go to sleep. Food was the first thing I thought about the moment I woke up and the last thing I would stress about as I'd go off to sleep. The only time I would have respite would be when I was sleeping. Um, and toward the sort of the the harder parts of my um, illness, that's all I wanted to do all day was sleep. So I didn't have to think about it. So it's you kind of have, for me, it was like having a second voice in my head. Someone constantly, constantly second-guessing everything I did, um, everything I ate, everything I drank, every exercise movement I made um, and just belittling belittling you the, all day. And it's it's such an exhausting, exhausting thing to, to live with and it's a constant battle. And, you know, you, ha- you sort of feel terrible about yourself all the time, but at the same time, you're trying so desperately not to let anyone else know that you're suffering because living with this thing, it's almost like a drug at the same time. You get addicted to the the feelings of um, elation and um, the endorphins that kind of, you know, pump through you when you've, you sort of feel like you have lost weight or you are kind of um, restricting. So, it's this really really bizarre kind of um, um, balance that you're trying to, to put on a happy face when when actually underneath you're really, really struggling. Um, and it is, it's a, such a strange illness in the sense that most people suffering uh, until they get to a point of, um, I suppose, accepting and realising that they're suffering, you're in denial a lot of the time and you don't actually want to get better. You think that the way you are doing things and the way you're leading your life is just you and there's nothing wrong with you and you're just you're fine as you are whereas everyone around you is sort of telling you no this is not healthy um it's not until you get to a point of wanting wanting help that um yeah you can actually sort of step outside that fog that's going on in your head yes. so I hope that makes sense right yes, it's a big yeah it's quite yes. complicated to explain yeah no no that was perfect and thank you for sharing that um and I understand also no that um as time so you had and you referenced um Anna as that voice in your in your head um, but her mm. voice sort of grew stronger, but so did your dependency on her. And before too long, as mm. opposed to it being Maddie and Anna talking to Maddie, it was like then mm. before too long, Anna sort of morphed into one entity and there, was, there wasn't necessarily any separating yourself from Anna. Um, it was almost mm. impossible. So um, can you maybe just expand on that and then how you sort of moved, um, I guess, through that to be able to sort of, I don't know, get rid of Anna and and sort of through your recovery maybe as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, no, you're so right, um, Rachel. It is. It, it does creep up. And like I said, this sort of six, seven-year period of like um, just thoughts and behaviours around around food and exercise that would just get stronger and more demanding and more restrictive um, soon just kind of become a way of life and you don't have any way of distinguishing Maddie from this illness. I just thought, well, that's just who I am. Stop having a go at me. Like family, friends, leave me alone. This is just who I am. Like, you know, if you've got a problem with it, that's your issue. I'm I'm perfectly fine. For me, it wasn't until I was actually hospitalized and 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 sort of being watched over 24 hours a day by by hospital staff that I actually had a moment of, oh my goodness, this is actually not okay. And, yeah. and clearly I've got doctors and and people around me the experts in this field telling me I'm not okay so it it took a long time to to kind of come to that realization and and to a point where you know I was very 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 underweight and very unwell um but it was with a lot of therapy and a lot of um 
yeah, a lot of support from my family and friends that I was able to really sort of start, I suppose, just separating myself from the illness. And hence where the the, the, the name Anna comes from. I, I like to call it Anna or her Anna because it isn't Maddie. It's not me. And I like to sort of separate her because... Um, yeah, I think that's a really key part of recovery is going, you know what, I've got a, I've got an illness and this is what it's making me think and feel and do, but I'm going to work to try and get 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 free of this. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And would you say that the longer that you, you suffer with it, with an illness like that, the harder it is to, to sort of uh, get through it as well, the, the, the stronger the thought patterns actually are as well? Mm. Um, and if that's mm. the case, I mean, how can parents then, you know, knit problems problem signs in the bud before, I guess, behaviours develop mm. to that strength and they sort of get out mm. of control. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and you're so right. They do these these kind of habits kind of, kind of latch on and you kind of, you know, start to pick up tips and tricks elsewhere and kind of add them to your repertoire of like negative negative thinking and, and behaviours. Um, but, yeah, they do, like for me personally, again, it was something that kind of just just really insidiously, insidiously trickled in over time, um, and and unfortunately, and to you know a lot of friends and family around me who at the time didn't understand, um, and that's absolutely no fault of theirs, but would often kind of comment positively about the way I was leading my life and you know, oh, Maddie's so healthy and look how well, you know, healthy she's eating and exercising and those kind of almost positive reinforcements kind of really drummed in what that what I was doing was right when when really those kind of habits were were not healthy at all they weren't weren't a healthy way of living for for a young young person um for an adult either um so for parents I would say if you're starting to see any of these these sort of um obsessive thoughts and and um feelings around food and exercise um that's when you're going to need to sort of yeah step in and just start having those conversations about self-esteem what is it that's making you sort of feel x y and z about uh, about uh, about food and um exercise and the way your body is um early and how much do you think diet and culture and body image is linked to eating disorder behavior as well mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, look, I think sadly, Rach, I do think it has a, a huge part um, to play. I do think there's there's a number of factors uh, related to, you know, the prevalence of eating disorders in society. And there's some fantastic studies that have been done around the globe about the fact that you know it does actually it's it can be a, an hereditary thing there can be a lot of a lot of combining factors um um including personality traits i think you know being very sensitive being quite perfectionistic all of these things but i do think that societal and cultural um pressures have have also a huge part, part to play so when you're already a really incredibly um sensitive person that that really kind of is hard on themselves um, and constantly comparing themselves to other people. If you're seeing images in the media and being told by every television show that this is what you need to look like, um, of course, that's going to reinforce those those already negative thoughts that are going around in your in your brain. So social media is it's a it's a wonderful place when it's used correctly. When it's not, it's in terrifying place and it really does scare me um and I think that there's a lot of education to be done um for young people in particular about what we're actually seeing on tv and in the media is not real most of the time 90% of the time it's not real um 
So, yeah, in fact, it's interesting. I was just listening to a podcast this morning. There's been this image of, uh, I think it was Chloe Kardashian, one of the Kardashians anyway, that's just been pulled offline. Her management team have gone gone absolutely crazy trying to retract this image of her in a bikini um, off the internet because it was unapproved and un photoshopped basically it wasn't approved by her and it's kind of it's made this started this real interesting discussion around you know what's this real probably and what's, the, what's real and what's not and you know this you know supposed the biggest influencer family in the world who um who sort of portray this image of perfection all the time and sell these products and and tell their fans this is what I look like and this is what you should look like um and they're not even able to live up to their own standards. It's really, it's quite an interesting thing to have happened. So, um, yeah, I just think that there needs to be a lot more education out there for people around, yeah, the damage that this kind of um, behaviour and expectations can actually do to people. It is. And it, it's incredible how many um, people it does actually affect. It's hard to believe. I think the number of people in Australia with an eating disorder at any given time, I think it's estimated to be around a million people. Um, it's around about 4% of the total population um, and less than a quarter are getting any treatment or support. But no doubt your book is designed to be able to help open those conversations with offering some support. Um, so I have to congratulate you um, on that and, and all, all the work that you're doing. Um, for everyone watching and listening, what can you tell us about your book and uh, just, you know, how you hope it will actually help families? Oh, thank you, Rach. Yeah, look, I'm really excited about about this book. It is um it is aged for um eight to, to twelve year olds, as you mentioned, and um it's based on my lived experience of an eating disorder. So, um when Anna came to stay, being um the the title of the book, Anna being anorexia, and it's it's basically the the journey of a um, the young protagonist May, who has um yeah lots of thoughts and feelings going on, and there's some stress happening in her life, stressful uh, events, and um, um, this this character Anna came comes to visit who helps her control things and that makes her feel better but sooner or later uh, things get out of control and um, May becomes very sick and needs to get needs to tell Anna to go basically and it's her journey and how how a family can sort of rally around and support someone going through that that recovery period so yeah look I really hope this book can be used as a tool for to, for families um, for young people um, just to have that that conversation and be that conversation starter, I think, about, um, yeah, these kinds of things that are going on in a lot of people's lives on a day-to-day basis and, um, yeah, hopefully getting help and treatment uh, before things take hold. And if um, families want to purchase the book, um, we'll have all the links in the show notes. Is there anywhere in particular that you recommend that they go to, to find the book? Um, so you can just visit my uh, website, actually, Rach. It's just maddieties.com, nice and easy. And I've got a, a special tab there for the book um, and you can actually, yeah, order it directly through the publishing house, which is fantastic. So, yeah, I'm just, yeah, hopefully if this book can help one person, I feel like my job will be done. So I'm, yeah, fingers crossed it can actually reach some people that need it. That's a brilliant resource, you know, for parents, students, um, even sort of healthcare workers and educators as well. So um, we'll do our part to be able to support getting this message out to as many people as possible. Um, And once again, congratulations on all your work. This has been a really insightful chat today. If you would, I guess, summarise your key messages for everyone watching and listening, what would they be? 
key messages would be uh, you are amazing. Every single person is amazing the way they are and they've been put on, you've been put on this planet for the sole reason of being who you are. And um, I think really people just really starting to appreciate and enjoy life and, uh, you know, the, the skills and strengths that they have rather than how we look because at the end of the day, it is so insignificant to everything else going on. Yes. Um, love who you are inside and out, I think. <laughs> Perfect message, um, Maddie. Once again, thank you for sharing your story um, and for everyone watching and listening. Um, if you want to grab a copy, uh, please just follow the links in the show notes. Maddie, thank you again for your time. Thank you for sh sharing your story and congratulations on all the incredible work you're doing. Big love. Thank you. Oh, and, uh, thank you so much, Rach. That was you beautiful. Take care. <laughs> all right, all right, bye. You too. I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.